Chronicles 7, 14, that my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Last message was, and turn from your wicked ways. And the threefold promise is this. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sin. And I will hear your land. Real revival provides us with real rewards from a God who definitely stands behind his promises. And if we meet those biblical requirements set forth in this passage, I believe we will create an atmosphere, and I believe we are sensing a little bit of that, in which we can experience tremendous spiritual renewal and rewards from the hand of God for the power of God and spiritual contentment. There are some of you here today, you're discouraged, you're depressed because you haven't seen the power of God, only the strength of your hand. And there's some of you that have a discontentment and it's spiritually in your life. You don't feel as close as you ought to feel to God. Faith is not about feelings, I admit that. But I'm telling you something, you will feel God when he shows up. It may not feel good, but you're going to feel him, all right? I'm not afraid to have emotions. God gave me a soul, mind, will, and emotions. He gave me the five senses. He gave me a soul. He gave me a body. There's nothing wrong with my body. Now it's glorified. It's set aside. It's blood-bought. It is a guiltless, debt-free. But listen, in these bodies, sometimes we sin. And as a result of that, we pay a communication, a communion price. I think it works the same way in marriage. You break the spirit of your marriage, and you have some repairing to do. I ain't going to get no amens on this one. And that's Georgia talk. When real revival, genuine revival comes, and we have the promise of it, there will not necessarily be a guarantee of corporate worship, but there is a divine guarantee that if you get in that swimming pool I put down here, or you draw a circle around yourself, you can have personal renewal. You can have personal revival for yourself. And if you don't believe so, it's because... You have a sand of sin in your life, and it's drawing you back from close, sweet fellowship, sweet spiritual communion, and uh, a, just a completeness of being with Him. Well, let's look at when revival comes and when, when we're, what we're promised. First of all, we're promised that God will hear us. Isn't that neat? God will hear us. When you pray, do you think God's listening? Well, then why are some of you saying this? I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying, but God ain't listening. You ain't never done that? 
I mean, you got some specific people for, you're praying for. You got some specific problems you're praying for. You got some specific provision you're praying for. And you haven't got an answer. I just heard previously that Brother Layfield and his men are midst given three weeks to live, now been here three months. I would say that he'd been given an answer, wouldn't you? So understand that God does hear us, and God wants you to know. Look, if we're confessing our sins and repenting, God promises to hear our prayers. I want you to take the first biblical example, and I'm going to try to hustle through this because I don't have the same amount of time I do in the early service. In Luke chapter 5, turn to Luke chapter 5. What we have here is a story of a very famous disciple, Peter. I like to preach about Peter. I like to talk about old Simon Peter because he fits many of you. And, uh, and so you need to understand that when we look at this story, this story was intended for us to understand that God will, does do things in our lives to bring amazement, to bring astonishment, to bring about the only things that God can do and miraculous things of all that. When our lives are where God can hear us, I believe there's nothing more powerful in this world than an unhindered prayer life. But here we see that Peter was hindered. And what hindered him? Verse 1. One day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the Word of God. And he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Don't forget that. Stepping in one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out of the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. When Jesus had finished speaking, he turned to Peter and he said, Peter, I want you to get in these boats. I want you to go back out into that deep water and I want you to cast down your nets. Am I saying it wrong? Now, wait a minute. All of a sudden, Peter said, now, (laughs) Jesus, we're washing our nets. You know what that meant? They were packing it in. They'd been out there all night. They were quitting. They were discouraged. They hadn't caught. The Bible says one, y'all ever been on those trips? One fish. That's tough when you've just been so excited about your six-month trip. And your wife is all pumped up. You're going to be gone. You come back and say, how many did you catch? Nothing. Well, how much did you spend? Uh, (laughs) Washing their nets, they were calling it quits. Listen, guys, you're no different from Peter. Whether you're a Sunday school teacher, a youth worker, whether you sing, whether you teach, you work in the wana, you work in the nursery, you work with the children, you work in the food ministry, you work in the the clinic, you work with me in, in, in the closed closets, you work in other ministries, we all have a tendency to get discouraged and to have our own net cleaning party. You know what that means? We just want to say it. I sure wish I could have been something other than a pastor. I mean, people are getting under my skin. (laughs) You don't do that, do you, preacher? Not for you to hear it. 
My wife hears it every so often. Now let me get this right, Jesus. We're professional fishermen. We're trained in what we do. We not only know how to fish, we know where to go to get the fish. And we've been fishing all night and we haven't caught a thing. And you're telling me, Jesus, <laughs> that you want me to go back out in that deep water and take those clean nets and drop them and you're telling me we're going to catch fish? What do you think, I'm crazy? But Lord Jesus, if you're telling me to do it, we will. Sometimes you just have to do things because God said do it. It's not because you feel like it. It's not because you want to. It's just the will of God. <laughs> so out he goes. Drop the net. All of a sudden, screaming and hollering and yelling. Oh, my goodness. The nets are breaking. The boat's sinking. We need help. Come on out here. We've got so many fish. We don't know what to do with. Wasn't like that the night before. What's the difference? They had Jesus' divine ear. You know what? What we're sometimes Sheldon. Sometimes we're so pitiful it stinks. Well, bless God, we're just going to make sure we have something here. We're going to plan this big event, and nobody shows. Well, bless God, we were a failure. Well, maybe you weren't. Maybe you just didn't bring Jesus in. And maybe some of the things you're trying to do, Jesus said, do what? I didn't ask you to get involved in that. Because what I sponsor works. I've learned that the hard way. How many of you here today say, you know what? In my marriage, I'm discouraged. In the ministry, I'm discouraged. <clears throat> I, I, I'm discouraged at everywhere I turn. I'm depressed. And Lord, I need, I need for you to hear me. I need to know you're on board with me. I'm going to tell you what, until you get to that point, you won't ever hear. And you know what? Even if he spoke, it only scare you to death. I love verse 10. Because this ain't all about going out fishing for fish. Jesus told Simon Peter, don't be afraid from now on. You'll be fishing for people. Why do we have what we have? Why are you doing what you do? Why do we have a church? Why do we have food ministry? Why do we have medical? Why do we have recreation? Why do we have one heart ministry? Why, why, why? Because if it's not for the purpose of reaching people, you're only caught up in it in your pride. It won't work. It won't work. Second of all, I could have preached a whole hour on that one. God will help us. He says, I will forgive your sin. Oh, isn't that neat? 
Every one of you ever committed one he wouldn't forgive? <laughs> I only know of one. And if you're, a, if you're a Christian, you can't commit it. And that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. For God to promise to forgive our sin means you and I can have close fellowship with him. It means that we've come to the, we have the ability to come in his presence, to experience his power, to experience his peace, his joy, hear his voice, and be a recipient of his promises. But listen to me. You can go to, oh, let me give you the biblical. Go to Matthew 18. You won't get it if I won't get you in the Bible. You know what? I hear a lot of things that say, this is biblical. This is what God wants you to do. But yet you can do it and never open your Bible. By the way, beware of those things. You need the Word of God in your life. The only way you're going to make it is by the Word of God in your life. It's your food. It's your nourishment. Matthew 18. Jesus said, or Peter, again, we pick on him a little bit. Verse 21, he came to Jesus and asked him, Jesus, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Peter said, seven times, Lord. You ever wonder why Peter started with seven? Do you know? Under the Jewish tradition and law, you had to forgive those who trespassed against you at least three times. So what Peter did is he added three or, or doubled it and added one, and he hoped that that blue light special was all that Jesus would be satisfied with. Then Jesus comes back. And he looks at him and he said, Peter, until you have forgiven 70 times, what? Y'all know how many that is? Somebody got a calculator. You need to be on the finance. We need you to count with me. Jesus was not setting up through a mathematical system to give you 490 times to forgive one event. No, ma'am. No, sir. Now, you better hear this or you'll, you'll miss revival. You'll miss a close uh, relationship with Jesus because there's some of you in here today that you're bearing deep stuff. You're bearing like a cancer being allowed to, to grow in your heart and your life, and you need to cut it out. And it needs to be destroyed before you're ever going to experience the power of God. Look, we can go to any church in America today, regardless of size, location, creed, and I promise that you in that church are going to definitely find those among that church sitting in that pew, most likely at Solid Rock Baptist Church this morning, who have bitterness in their life. That bitterness is there because you are not forgiving someone. Peter came to Jesus and said, I got bitterness in me, Jesus. I want it out. How many times do I have to forgive someone for I can just, just come on, I can just whoop the tar out of them. 
And I guess you're too spiritual to have ever felt that way, huh? Well, I'll tell you a little secret. I don't care who you are, but if you stay on this earth long enough and God allows you to live, at least to my age, 36 plus, I just lie, I mean, I just made a lie of truth. Nobody, absolutely, there will be nobody in this congregation that will go through this life free from hurt or personal injury from somebody somewhere down the road or it's already taken place in your life. And you're sitting there struggling with it. The question is not whether or not people are going to hurt you or whether or not people are going to do you wrong. The question is today, how are you going to respond with your hurt? I mean, there's people in this house today that when you were young as a, as a young lady, you were molested by your mama. There's people in here that, uh, um, young men that were molested by their dads. There's people in here that have, have run into all kind of difficulty and you haven't told anybody and you're struggling with it and you haven't made it and you haven't brought it into the presence of God and you think like Peter that you are organized, you are uh, intelligent enough and, and intellectually uh, strong enough that you can handle it. I got news for you. I ain't met one of them yet. The word forgiveness tells us just how difficult it is. The word literally means to let it go, send away. Forgiveness is when you release to the Lord any bitterness that you might feel when, when you have been done wrong or you have the right towards someone else to feel those ways of, of bitterness, but you have let God handle it and you've released it to Him. How many times, don't raise your hand, but how many times you walk down this altar on a specific thing, a specific person, a specific hurt, and you said, Lord Jesus, I ask you to take it away. You made it maybe back to the pew, and it fell right back on you. Here's what Jesus said. When you and I bring it to him, remember, we bring it to him like he forgives us. Now, how does God forgive us? Completely. When God says, I forgive your sin of murder, does he bring it back on you? Do you have to walk around feeling guilty and feeling shameful for it ever again? No, not as long as you don't kill nobody else. Well, God just cleansed you of it. He freed you of it. But then somebody does you wrong by cutting you off on, on a red light or here in town, and you harbor it all day long till ultimately you're giving them the Hawaiian hello sign and you're cussing. Cussing, which only reveals that you ain't forgive nobody, especially whoever cut you off. 
Why do we demand things out of God we don't, we're not willing to do ourselves? The Bible says when you come to him and you ask for forgiveness and you're serious about it and you are sincere about it, he wipes that so far as from the east is the, to the west. He, he cleanses you like crimson. You're, you're like white as snow. And yet, you're sitting right there today, some of you, and it creeps up every once in a while, a bitterness towards somebody, and it's because you have not forgiven. Let me tell you something. There's an interesting verse. I want you to look at it, verse 35, Matthew 18. That's why the Heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters in your heart. What will he do? It's a matter of an allowance. What will he allow? Remember the two illustrations that were given? One was excused of a debt, therefore didn't have to pay it, and it was eliminated. Then he turns around, and somebody a whole lot poorer comes to him, and rather than also excusing his debt, he had him put in prison. You remember that? And he said, you will stay in prison until you pay all of the debt back. You want to know what it is? When you and I won't forgive, we go to the bars of prison. And we lock the door. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I wished I had us on this stage. I wished I had the ability to put up a jail cell. Because what I would do is I would take that jail cell and I'd open the door and I'd leave it wide and I'd come on the outside of it and I'd say, In Jesus, I am free. Now, who said that? Who said that? I'm asking, tell me. Who said that? Jesus did. But let me tell you what he's talking about in this last verse. If you and I have refused to forgive anybody of anything, we go back in that jail cell on our own merit, and we close the door, and we lock it, and we say, I'm sitting in this jail cell. And that's when you find out, and you will sense an overwhelming presence of being in bondage and in prison, and you are keeping yourself there. Don't blame that on Jesus. Because he set you free. Do we need help? Oh, my God. Yes, we need help. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be ye kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Just, listen to this, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's what kind of forgiveness you got from the heavenly one. Well, let's look at the last thing. God will hear us, I will hear you from heaven. God will help us, I'll forgive your sin. And then God will heal us. Do you need healing? I'm going to tell you something. I don't know of any place that I've ever been that I didn't think after I was there there long enough that, oh, my gosh, this is a sick generation. This is a sick bunch of people. Yes, our land needs healing. The churches need healing. Now, I want to, I don't know how to, I'm just going to brag on God. 
because I don't want pride to ever come into anything that I've ever been a part of. But I'm going to tell you something. For the last three Monday nights, I've been to something. I've been a part of something for 34 years as a pastor I've only dreamed about. You say, Mike, what is that? That's where you call a prayer meeting and more than one shows up. And you don't listen to 55 minutes of Bible study and pray for four and shake hands for the rest. We've been meeting on Monday night, and I ain't bragging on nobody because we all got our issues. But at 7 o'clock, we begin, and around 8.30, we're through. And I'm going to tell you something. We spend about 20 minutes giving a, a, a challenge to you, and then we go to, we go to serious prayer. You that are here today, I don't know who you are. I don't know all your names, but you've been prayed for. And the pew that you're sitting in, if you're feeling a funny stirring, it's because somebody put a stirring on that pew. Now, listen to me. When God's people get serious about revival, it don't matter when you call the meeting. They just show up because they know we need it. We know we need it. And we're not slamming anybody. We all know we need revival. If Solid Rock went into like Hazel, the first Baptist of Hazel Hurst, went into a, a series of revivals, the first thing some of y'all going to be com- begin to complain about is, well, we can't go another night. We're too busy. I already know it. I can hear it. If God's children will come back to him in genuine repentance and faith, we will see the healing power poured out. We'll see the astonishment things go on. We'll see the amazing things begin to happen. We'll see some of those people that you're praying for start getting saved. We'll see some of those people that need healing get healed because that's just what Jesus does. It's not what we do. It's what Jesus does. That's what it's all about. Turn to my last biblical example, and we'll wrap it up. The book of Jonah, <laughs> four chapters. No, I'm only going to read three verses. Jonah 1.1, 1, 1. look at it. The Lord gave the message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Excuse me, i got to read verse 2, too. Get up and go to that great city of Nineveh and announce my judgment against it because I see how wicked the people are. And the Bible says immediately Jonah jumped up with spiritual fervor and ran in the opposite direction. Got him the first boat ticket to Joppa in the opposite way. Isn't that about like all of us? God says come to revival. I ain't got time. I don't want to be bothered with that. After all, i got an important job. What's more important than Jesus? Maybe that's your problem. <laughs> I love to go to chapter 2, verse 1. we got to read this and 2. No, yeah. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the inside of the belly of a big old fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me, and I called to you from the world of the dead. And and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into this ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea, and I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. You could say, 
that Jonah was in one whale of a mess. He called his own private prayer meeting, just him and God, in the middle of an old dark, smelly belly of a fish, stunk with stomach acid, seaweed, half-eaten it fish, everything else that thing had swallowed. All of a sudden, Jonah found himself in distress. Now listen, when we begin to cry out unto God from the standpoint of just wanting to see people saved, God's people brought back right. Do you know what most of the prayers that God hears? They're the Jonah prayers. They're the Peter prayers. When Peter began to sink, making his way out to Jesus, who got out of the boat, what did he do? Oh, Lord, won't you buy me? No, he didn't say, save me. Save me. Jonah, oh, God, it's dark in here. I'm in my own live coffin with the vault added with it. I'm in a three-night, four-day timeshare in the whale of a mess. Help me, God. Get me out of this mess. Wouldn't you say that was a prayer of distress? Well, sure. Well, let's face it. We hardly ever cry out unto God unless it is in desperation. But you know what? True revival comes when we just begin to pray. And we get this old heart and life clean and this old sin dealt with. And we begin to cry out unto God, oh God, we don't want nothing but you. We want your will. I close with this, I promise. Sometimes I'm guilty of closing about 49 different times, but I'm closing on this. There's a story of a pastor sitting on his front porch. And his neighbor goes by pulling on a a lead a horse. Nice-looking horse. So he says, hey, neighbor, where are you going? He said, well, I'm going to sell this horse. The pastor said, now, you know what, neighbor? You ought to say you're going to sell this horse if it's the will of God. He said, you know what, sir? I bottle fed this horse. I fed this horse. I trained this horse. And by golly, I found the buyer of this horse. And I want you to know right now the Lord's will won't change anything in this deal. Okay. Later that day, the neighbor came by the preacher's house again. This time, he was covered in dirt. His clothes were ripped to pieces. He was bruised from head to toe. And the astonished preacher asked, well, what happened? His neighbor said, well, first of all, I talked to you entirely too long, and I missed my appointment. 
so I de- to, with the buyer, so I decided to get on that horse and ride that horse through a shortcut in cornfield. The only problem with that is the man that owned that cornfield was a crossbow buzzard, and he saw us tramping through the cornfield, so he shot at my horse. My horse got spooked, kicked me off, then fell over on top of me. Getting out from under that horse, I about tore all my clothes off. I got up with bullets flying, and I ran and ran right into the barbed wire and cut myself all up. And he said, if you got to know, that's what happened today. Pastor looked at him and said, well, what are you going to do now? He said, well, I guess I'm going home, if it's the Lord's will. Why do we have to be taught the hard way? You ever thought about that? Why is it that we have to become a murderer before we realize God would have used us not being one? Why? I'll tell you why. Because you like to do it your way. And you can't do it your way. Your way won't work. If you're depressed, discouraged, bitter, if you have unforgiveness in your life because of that bitterness, if you're in one whale of a mess right now, and you've been hit by one big fish, I mean a big situation has covered you up, it's time. To listen to Jesus. People saw the rock. I know you think you're experienced. I know you think you're mature. I know you think you got it all worked out. But go back out into the deep. I got, you got my ear. Throw the nets down. And let's see people come to Jesus. With every head bowed.